Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to another episode of The Voice of the Valley. I'm your host, Jeremy Pinch, and with me, I have Pastor Rick Whitmer. Rick, how are you doing today? Doing really well, thanks. It's uh, good to be back on the podcast. Yeah, so the the holiday season's over, right? Yes. Uh, and it almost, the days are bleak, and it almost seems like the nights are uh, even bleaker. Yeah, literally, yeah. right? Yeah. And I, I used to have a little cartoon on my phone that um, talked about January being just uh, <laughs> a bucket of sorrow or a bucket of um, hardship without the joy of Christmas. Hmm. And, you know, we have this holiday, Christmas, which very gladly comes at a dark time of the year and reminds us of the light of Christ. But then it comes and it goes, and after the 12 days of Christmas, if you observe those, what are you left with? Well, uh, here in the North especially, you're left with um, cold, uh, a lot darker days for longer. Uh, thankfully, Yakima has some sun interspersed, but um, it can get pretty gloomy. Hmm. Hmm. So it, it does seem to be a, a season where... Uh, depression can set in pretty heavily. Why is that? Yeah. And, and, and literally there's a, at least, at least there was a diagnosis, um, in previous editions of, uh, what's called the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders, which is kind of like the, the psychiatric Bible of everything that can be wrong with a person. And sometimes I joke that the Bible of all the problems that sin can cause with the mind is bigger than the actual Bible from before the problem started to after it's finished in Christ. And um, the history of how that came about is actually pretty interesting, and we're not going to really get into it, but um, it was called, up until the most recent edition, um, I believe it was seasonal affective disorder. It's this idea that with a particular season, winter, comes um, some serious disruption for a lot of people's emotions. And now, um, in the most recent edition, called the DSM-5, it's just called a major depressive disorder with seasonal pattern and is estimated to affect 4 to 6% of the U.S. population. And uh, so there's a lot, and, and that's just an actual diagnosis with particular criteria, not to mention all the number of people who don't fit the criteria for that diagnosis that seriously struggle with sadness and hardship during these winter months. So can, I think the next logical question is, can Christians become depressed? Um, so short answer, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, um, you know, just thinking about, there's, there's two different kinds of depression that we can look at here. Um, to get to the question you originally asked about this season, um, I think you had asked why, and I didn't, give an answer to that. I just described it, and so I apologize. Uh, So I want to backtrack for just a moment um, and just to kind of give some context here because Christians and non-Christians live up north and experience the same environment. Christians and non-Christians get sad. Um, Christians and non-Christians go through serious periods of depression. Um, The the Puritans called it melancholia, uh, or from where we get the word melancholy, and, and we're talking about not just getting sad, but actually feeling significant problems. Um, and as far as the seasonal depressions go, 
um, you know, there, there, there can be outside events that cause feelings of depression, um, tragic loss, where we're coming to grips with the fact of something we can't get back that's very significant to us, um, stressors in the workplace. Um, so there's a number of causes, um, but wintertime depression, they've actually shown that, um, that people who live in climates where they get um, 16 hours of light per day have a much short, smaller risk of dealing with serious depression in, uh, than people who live in areas where you're only getting eight hours of light mm. a day. And the further north we get, and so up here in Yakima, um, like right now, you know, the sunrise is in the seven o'clock hour and sunset is in the four o'clock hour. So you're not dealing with a ton of sunlight right now. And, and so there's actually a biological effect that that has on the brain and on people's experience of this season that doesn't necessarily have to do with something they've done wrong or, or a circumstance they're facing, but just the fact that there's just not a lot of light. So that's uh, it's just a, uh, something that's interesting. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. Uh, so, so Christians are liable to getting depressed during this time of year, uh, just as much as non-Christians. Um, but would we, would you consider depression to be a sin or a cause of sin? So, uh, so we're going to get back to kind of a root question here about depression. And, and there's a lot of discussion about depression. Um, some people have referred to it as the common cold of the mind. Um, and I kind of look, look at depression and anxiety in the, in the same sense there. These are um, epidemic experiences for, for humans, both inside the church and outside the church. And in order to categorize it in terms of or think in terms of sin or not, we have to ask the question, does the Bible say or command, don't be sad or, or don't be depressed? Or conversely, does it command, be happy? And, you know, I'm just going to put you on the spot here for a moment. When, when I ask the question, does the Bible command us to be happy? Are there any passages that immediately come to your mind? Yes. From Philippians. Yes. Which one? Uh, Philippians. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> you don't need to reference uh, it. I'm thinking Philippians 3. Rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah. Again, I say yeah. rejoice. Mm-hmm. Right there at the beginning, end of three, beginning of four, and he's, there is this command yeah. to be joyful always. But is that the same thing as a command to be feeling happy all the time? Mm-hmm. And of course the answer is no. And we know this because the Bible is filled with sorrow. Um, scripture writers lamenting. There's a whole book developed to lament. Lamentations. Mm-hmm. And what was the prophet responding to? He was responding to the destruction of the beloved holy city by Babylon. And he's looking at the end of life as he's known it, at the end of an age for Israel as they've known it. And they're being carried away to captivity. And he is lamenting. He is depressed, really depressed because of some external circumstances that are happening. Now, what's the connection between sin and sorrow? And and it's not so simple as to be able to say, well, it's, it's this one connection, this one, this is the one way that we can view it. But let's look at that example of, of lamentations. Depression, um, because of the destruction of a city, 
has a, it was directly influenced by sin because the whole reason for that circumstance God had revealed was because of the people of Judah's chronic sin. And so sin led to a circumstance that prompted serious depression and lament. Was the lament in itself sinful? No. Um, was the sin that led to the circumstance sinful? Of course. It was rebellion against God. Um, so, so we can't just look at somebody who's feeling sad or seriously struggling with um, feelings of depression and say, this is sin for you to feel this way, because the Bible never says that. It doesn't put it in terms of that category. Um, you know, seasonal depression isn't in and of itself sinful, because there's there is actual biological stuff going on that prompts those feelings. So I, I want to make a first distinction. Feelings of depression are not in and of themselves sinful any more than um, any other feeling in and of itself is sinful. Um, I'll ask you a question. How good are you at spontaneously controlling your emotions and just telling yourself, I'm going to feel X, Y, or Z? Not very good. <laughs> <laughs> is your wife better at it than you? Far better at it. They than usually I am. are, but even our wives <laughs> yeah. have a really hard time of it. Yeah. You know, that's just not something that we can do so well mm -hmm. to just spontaneously control our emotions. Um, sometimes we try, and some people try by mood altering drugs or mm -hmm. uh, alcohol, and and will use those things specifically for the purpose of changing what they feel. But to be able to just spontaneously go, I feel X, I don't want to feel that way, I'm going to feel Y, that's just not so much a part of the human experience. Um, so, um, you know, I'll ask you this question. Is it natural to grieve a significant loss? Yeah, of course. I think of, I think of Jesus when he mourns or weeps over the death of Lazarus. In mm -hmm. John chapter 11, because he, lo he loved them. Right. Yeah. Jesus wept. Yeah. And he, that's a really great example. Um, I was thinking of his lament over Jerusalem. Hmm. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets um, and stones those who are sent to her. He was, he was deeply sad at the fact that his people were rejecting their only hope. And he knew, looking ahead, the horrors of the siege of Jerusalem by Rome in 70 AD. He was looking forward with horror to what his own people, the Jews, would do to each other, which was as bad as what the Romans did to them, to them at that same time. So there were dark things call for dark responses. Mm. Um, the question becomes not do we feel the darkness, but what do we do in those feelings? And that can be the crucial place where we can either go in a sinful direction with something or a God-glorifying direction with it. So how do you respond to depression if we, if we think that way? Um, you know, we have these feelings of depression. We have these seasonal uh, effects, as you were just mentioning. And at what point do we realize that I've, I've now crossed the boundary into sin just because of my reaction, the way I'm acting, um, so on and so forth. At what point do we, do we realize that we've crossed that boundary or do we know? So, uh, yeah. And, and I'd say 
scripture has given us all things, you know, second Peter one, three, he's given us all things necessary for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, through his precious promises. And so we are a people who are bound to this holy book. Um, and we look to God's revelation to guide us through these deeply spiritual experiences. You know, the, the predominant model of depression outside of a biblical view is that it is simply chemical. And, and that arose because of a deeply naturalistic worldview that said, you know, we're not spiritual beings. We don't want to mix, you know, our science with our religion. Uh, you know, so we have to come up with a material, physical way of explaining something that the Bible actually puts in terms of a deeply spiritual experience. So we are body, soul beings, okay? Um, we cannot sit there, you know, if someone were to operate on me, they're not going to get to some level in my chest cavity where they're going to find the, the place where my body stops and my soul starts, right? We are inseparably united as, as physical, spiritual beings to the point where Paul says, if your body is absent from your soul, you have died. <laughs> That's actually a pretty biblical definition of death. Um, when your soul and your body are divorced, you are dead. And so, you know, we need to realize we're dealing with spiritual and physical realities. Um, so one thing we can do with depression um, to, to figure out if we have transgressed into a sinful area is not to sit here and say, I'm feeling depressed, therefore I've sinned, but to, to look in terms of, okay, what does the Bible command of me to be actively doing, um, to, be, to be praying, to be serving others, to be loving my wife, loving my children, going to, to my work, um, doing the things that I have been called to do as a Christian. Now, those things are harder for me to do when I'm having a bad day. I am less motivated to do those things when I'm um, feeling sick physically, um, when I am feeling really down uh, emotionally, and if in those contexts, with those challenges, I choose to not do something God's commanded, um, then I'm in sin. And I know that I've had a sinful response. How I'm feeling isn't necessarily sinful, although it, it could be um, if I examine my motives and I, I realize that I didn't get something I wanted. Therefore, I'm going to respond in anger or sadness and I'm going to have a pity party because... I didn't get what I want, which is a definition of idolatry. Mm. Or, you know, think of our general confession that we that we pray once a month. Um, I have not done the things that you've called me to do, and I have done the things you've called me not to do. So we can examine on the on the flip side: um, Are there things that I'm doing that God said do not do these things? And and oftentimes with depression, we find ourselves in these categories not getting out of bed in the morning when God's called me to because I've just lost the motivation to do it. And so there's a really powerful connection between what we feel and what we do. Emotional problems are a huge roadblock that can easily get in the way of our walking in obedience. But we don't need to be slaved to those emotions we can still, by God's grace, through the word and by his spirit, because of Christ in us and Christ with us, we can choose obedience even in the midst of hurdles.
And we see the Apostle Paul doing this all the time. He's talking about the challenges he faced, daily feeling the anxiety that he has about the churches. In 2 Corinthians 1, talking about despairing to the point of death, like we had received a death sentence. And what does he do? He gets up, and in the strength of God, with all those challenges, continues because he knows that his Savior lives and, and he has sufficiency for, for Paul. Yeah, I, going back to going back to Philippians, you know, this is a book of joy, and I I just think of I think of Paul's opening response or opening you know monologue to prologue to to the Philippian church as he's in jail, and he says, "I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy." Here's a guy in prison for his faith, for the preaching of the gospel, who has probably every right to be depressed and be in these valleys. And yet he's writing to this church, encouraging them, saying hmm. that they bring him joy even in these dark places. Yeah. That's an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, amazing passage to read there. Um, and then we think of, um, you know, these great men of the faith and especially a man like Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. Yes. Um, he has to come up in a conversation he, about depression. He does. It's yeah. famous. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he endured these, you know, onslaughts of depression. So what are some ways that we can learn not only from, from Scripture, but we can learn from men of the faith, like, mm-hmm. like Spurgeon, um, how they combated those, those feelings of depression and, and move forward? Yeah. And... Um, so Spurgeon, you know, other as you were naming Spurgeon, I thought of other famous men, not even necessarily Christians, who had famous battles with depression, like Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. He referred to it as the black dog. Uh, Abraham Lincoln talked about his depression in terms of feeling like if something doesn't change, I have to die because I can't keep living like this. And, and you know, these men and women put on, they put really um, helpful words to this experience to kind of help people who don't go through major se- seasons of depression, get a, um, a sense for the actual real experience of this thing that can't just be described to someone else in, in, in so that they would feel what you're feeling. You know, Spurgeon, there's a, um, some helpful articles about Spurgeon's depression, one of them by Michael Reeves um, called, Did You Know That Charles Spurgeon Struggled With Depression? Uh, there's one on Desiring God. Uh, Piper, okay, so John Piper is, is an example of a modern uh, giant of the faith who has had some pretty well-known struggles with depression, and he's very honest about that. And, and learning from these godly people, like you said, um, is so invalu- invaluable to us because we read truths in Scripture, we treasure them, and then uh, we see in the biographies of saints who have walked through these deep valleys, what the beauty of those promises and truths looks like when it's fleshed out in sinners like us. Uh, that's what the Psalms is in a lot of ways, is um, biographical studies of, of the prayers of godly people who are going through these valleys. You know, Spurgeon's depression um, started when he was 22 he was preaching to a very large congregation at the Surrey Garden Music Hall and some um, punks, just to put it mildly, yelled, they thought it'd be funny to yell fire when there wasn't. And in the mayhem of trying to get out of the music hall, um, 
number of people died by being trampled. And Spurgeon went home and just collapsed and went into a deep, dark spiral. And it, it, would, it, it lasted the rest of his life. Not necessarily every day, but some serious seasons of what he would term causeless depression. You know, depression just because. And that was a reality for the rest of his life, coupled with significant physical pain from kidney inflammation. Um, he had gout. He had rheumatism. He had other disorders that racked his body um, to the point where he said, my spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, yet I knew not for what I wept. Hmm. He just couldn't explain it. And there are a number of things that he did um, to help him walk through that experience. The first thing he did was he applied his Calvinism. He had a theology that saw God as the supreme sovereign over everything, including his depression. So he realized, if I'm feeling this, it's not because God's not here. It's because God has ordained that I would struggle with this. And so he even used his depression to look upward in worship to a God who he knew was trustworthy, even though he didn't know why his depression at this particular moment was happening the way that it was. He, he fled to his theology of the sovereignty of God because he knew that this was more than just a doctrine. He knew that he was before a God who was a real person and who was with him. Something that both um, Charles Spurgeon and his wife Susanna did, because uh, Susanna, by the way, was racked with physical pain and illness her whole life to the point where she would spend months not coming to church and so if you were a visitor to the Metropolitan Tabernacle and you were to meet Susanna Spurgeon, you might very well ask the pastor's wife, are you new here? Mm-hmm. And what did she do? She started a pastor's book um, ministry where she would occupy her time. She couldn't leave the house. So she would organize servers to come in and help her mail her husband's books to pastors around the world who couldn't afford them. Mm-hmm. And one of the number one things that people struggling with depression do not want to do and are not motivated to do, which is maybe one of the best things they can do if they are in Christ, is to serve others. Because we are more than our depression. We are more than our struggles. Oftentimes people who are experiencing a a chronic illness become identified with that illness. But the reality is that illness is not them. With depression, especially chronic depression, it's easy to sit there and go, I am my depression. But step back for a moment and realize who we are is in Christ. He's given us a spiritual gift to serve the body that does not go away when depression sets on. And so actually serving the saints, which is the definition of spiritual gifts, is is a gift given by God for the service and edification of the saints using that, leaning heavy into that opportunity in depression and darkness is very, very healing because it takes the attention off of the self and puts it on to someone else. Um, I I went through some really dark seasons of anxiety um, a few years ago, and I know that when I was most anxious, when my wife was most concerned for me, was on my day off because my mind was not occupied for others and with the business God had given to me, but I would sit and worry about whatever it was that was on my mind is same way with depression. Does it make sense? Yeah. Serving others. Um, 
something else Spurgeon did uh, was every winter. Uh, interesting that it would be winter, right? Yeah. We're talking about a place that's far north, dealing with lots of darkness, lots of rain, lots of fog, London, as he would go south to the French Riviera for several weeks and just experience the refreshment of resting in a place that had more sunlight. Um, and that's, I think, why some people, uh, they try to get away and they go to maybe Arizona for the winter. Um, maybe that's not ideal. And if they do, they need to be in fellowship with the saints there. But that is a, a real thing that people who just can't shake winter do sometimes. But taking care of the body was something that Spurgeon realized was essential uh, because, again, he, he knew we are physical, spiritual creatures. And, um, you know, at times, Jer, when you've been studying late and, and gotten little sleep, um, do you ever struggle more on the next day after you've not slept? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. That's that's probably the, the hardest point in my life is when I'm staying up late and, and doing all this stuff. And then the next day, it's just like, what am I doing yeah (laughs) or where am i at you know spiritually physically where am i where am i at right you know a number of people in our church in recent uh couple years have been having babies for the first time and we have so many times um jen and i have gotten the question how did you do this with a three-year-old a one-year-old and and then twins who are newborn and how did you survive and our honest answer is we have no idea we know that it's entirely the grace of God, but the details, we actually don't remember because we weren't sleeping. And it was just a pretty dark period for us with a lot of sin. And some, I think Jen told some people who had come over the other day that through that period, um, survival in and of itself by God's grace is a means of bringing him glory. And so, um, you know, all that to say taking care of the body is so important. Getting seven to eight hours of sleep is so important. Um, <laughs> Spurgeon, even, you know, looking at things that God had given him physically, he wrote in a newspaper once, um, I think in the London Telegraph, I have felt grateful to God. I have found intense pain relieved, a weary brain soothed, and calm, refreshing sleep obtained by a cigar. <laughs> I'm not saying go get a cigar and smoke it. I'm telling you, um, you know, you asked how Spurgeon would, would walk through this, is he would look at things that were legitimate gifts of God, legitimate, and that's an important distinction, um, not illegitimate things that we find, but he's, he in good faith could do that to the glory of God, and uh, and he did partake of that gift. Uh, just a couple more things, I, I don't want to drone on on Spurgeon much longer, but he would um, guard against con- uh, asking the question or thinking he had to find an answer for why, his depression was setting on. He would trust himself to God and, and be okay with not seeking out an answer to that. We can come to a lot of unbiblical conclusions if we try to put a why to seasons of suffering we just aren't given the reasons to. And then finally, he would um, he would focus on Christ's sufferings through his own suffering and remember that he was redeemed by the man of sorrows. And that meant that Christ was with him in his sorrows. Yeah, I think that's those are great words or, or wisdom um, for Christians and how they respond or how they ought to respond when they feel those times of depression coming on. But 
how would you minister to non-Christians who are struggling in the area of depression? Right? They don't they don't believe in the atoning work of Christ. They don't believe in the suffering servant, the man of sorrows. Um, they don't see their need for their sins to be given, be forgiven. Um, so how would you, how do you minister to a non-believer who is, who's struggling with depression? Right. Yeah. Yeah, man, that is a, you know, we all probably know non-Christians who, um, have let us in on their depression to some extent or another. Mm -hmm. And what an evangelistic opportunity, um, is the first thing I want to say about that. Um, so, I, I entered the pastoral ministry after Bible college, um, having desired not to go into the pastoral ministry. I wasn't, you know, I went to Bible college because I I wanted to be a vocational evangelist. I quickly lost sight of that, was confused about whether or not I was actually called to that and, uh, ended up, you know, finishing school with Jen and, and saying, you know, I don't want to go into church ministry, but I want to be useful to the church. And where that, what that ended up looking like for me was going into clinical counseling. And it was at the end of three years of clinical counseling training that I was so bothered by what was being passed off as Christian counseling that it drove me into church ministry (laughs) because I thought, we are in a bad place as the church in America with the counsel that is being given on our struggles. Um, and amazing how that works, right? Right. (laughs) So, um, so I, that was my, that just in a nutshell, it's a 30 second biography of how I ended up in what's called biblical counseling, which is in and of itself, um, an approach to counseling and with, I can, and I can't commend it highly enough. Um, it really is a worldview of how to deal with struggles that honors, the complexity of sin. Um, it honors the reality of disease. It honors sola scriptura, that, that scripture alone is God's word to us, that it is sufficient for our soul struggles. Um, it does not ignore the realities of, of, you know, the body and is quick to refer people to talk to their primary care physicians with concerns that they have about, um, about the things that are going on with their body. But when we're talking about dealing with soul issues, um, because psychology literally means a word about the soul, Mm. suke logos, soul word. Mm. Yeah, psychology, having a conversation about the soul. That's what this is. And that's scripture's domain for Christians and non-Christians. And so sitting down with a non-Christian who's going through something in their soul, what else can we do in good faith except share with them their need for the healer of their soul to bring redemption on them, to save them from their sins? And so that's a prime evangelistic opportunity to take with someone because in Christ is our only hope. But here's the temptation. Somebody hears the gospel, maybe more than once, they reject it, they don't want to heed it, now, what do you, O oh Christian, do with that person whose only hope, truly, is being kicked to the curb and they're still depressed? Well, on a very pragmatic level, um, we, we walk with them, right? We don't just ignore somebody's suffering because they won't believe the gospel. We continue to use the opportunity to sit with them in their suffering as an opportunity to show them the persistent love of Christ 
um, by helping them. Uh, you know, one of the things that a lot of people who are dealing with depression don't do is exercise. And yet that's one of the most important things they can do to help walk through this sorrow. And so maybe offering to, to take a walk with a person who's a non-believer, who's, who's going through a season of depression. Hey, I'm going to come over to your house three times a week. We're going to go for a walk for half an hour. Um, what kind of conversations could we pray that God would open up in that time of helping them walk um, and exercise? Um, you know, this is what Job's friends did well. Like, this is the one thing they did well, and it was in Job chapter 2, is they sat and they mourned and they grieved with their friend who was going through sorrow. And we can do that with unbelievers, always looking for that opportunity to continue to point it back to Christ, um, who is the only one who will bind up and wipe away our tears, you know, ultimately, as Revelation says. So those are the two things I'd say is, is be evangelistic. And if someone won't receive the gospel, continue to love them well, because we don't know what day it is that God is going to open their eyes if he chooses to. Um, but we can continue to show them that God does not uh, stop caring for them. Well, friends, uh, you may go through these times of depression, these seasons uh, in which it feels like you've lost all hope and there's there's nothing to look forward to. And we would just encourage you to pursue Christ, continue to serve the saints, continue to uh, turn to the scriptures and and lean heavily upon the one who gave it all uh, for you. And if you have friends who are unbelievers, we do ask that you continue to be faithful, continue to share the gospel, continue to point them to Christ, and uh, walk with them through this suffering. Hey, Jer, can I uh, add one, one sure, thing here? absolutely. You know, I'm just realizing that it, people who are listening to this may be going through, they may be listening because they saw the topic and are going through a season of suffering. And, and I just want to speak directly to you right now and encourage you Listen, I know that this is dark, a dark time for you, and it may feel like the darkness won't lift. But, you know, if, if you take something away from today, don't beat yourself up over what you're feeling, but remember that God is calling to you through those feelings to walk with him to his glory in it. He knows your suffering deeper than anybody else could, including yourself. Um, remember what Pastor John has been preaching through James, especially James chapter 1. Um, these are trials, friends, and, and God has ordained your trials for the purpose of forming Christ in you. And he's done it in the context of the church. And you are surrounded by brothers and sisters who love you and who want to walk with you through this, who won't walk with you perfectly, and yet who will genuinely love you. And so lean heavy into those truths that God, God will sustain you to bring him glory through this. Remember Paul and his suffering in 2 Corinthians 12, this thorn in the flesh that he said, Lord, please take it from me. He says, I pleaded with the Lord three times. And the, the response of Jesus to Paul is his response to you as well in this darkness that doesn't seem like it will lift. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So flee to Christ. And if you've never fled to Christ and you're hearing this, and you can't say that you have the hope of eternal life with God, flee to him now. Believe in Jesus now. Trust in him now. Confess your sins to him now and realize that you can never do anything 
to remedy your situation, but Christ has done it all for you. And friends, there is hope. So thanks, Jer, for reminding us of, um, for this whole topic. It's so important, and I'm really grateful that we're talking about it. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. And we appreciate you who are listening. We love you guys, and we look forward to being with you on Sunday as we gather as a body uh, to worship the one who gave his life, who gave his life as a ransom for us. We love you, church, and we look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day, Sun Valley Church.